This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, and you guys know what we do here. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized how many times can I say that over and over again and, and, and not bore you to tears? And I'm suspecting that we've been boring you to tears quite a lot with my little intros. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's so okay. So you guys know what we do. We're rocking on through a checklist right <laughs> we now. Do, we do Buffett-style investing. How's That's that? what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. So buckle your seatbelt because here we go into the checklist. We are working through the rules checklist. And each part of this is designed to help us get something right. And the first thing we're trying to get right is that we're not going to lose money when we buy a business. And the reason we need to get that right is because we are not messing around here. We are investing really serious money, big money for each one of us, big money. Okay. Mm, So whether that's Mm 10,000 or 10 million, Mm -hmm. it's everything you got. Put it like that. It's everything you got. It's but, I not mean, going even, to Las Vegas. Even if you're not investing everything you got, I think everybody feels like they're investing big money. Whatever it yep. is they decided to put into that investing bucket, yep. it feels big no matter what. And it is. And therefore, and is. you have to be, you have to be, you have to understand this investing style and, and you need to understand it in your gut. And that is that we cannot lose money when we buy something. We can't afford it because we're not putting in a little bit. We're loading up the truck. Our investment style is to be incredibly passive, do nothing, 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 and then get maximally aggressive when we do stuff. So the way Buffett puts it is more fun. He just basically says we go outside and load up the truck. But what he means is we're we're putting in more money than you can afford to lose into each investment. Hmm. It can't be a mistake. So that's what we're learning about here is how to have a checklist that will help us not make mistakes with money yeah. we can't afford to lose. Yeah. 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 That will help us uh, find the holes in what we've already done. Very right. I just so, rewatched that Lee Lu talk to the Columbia class, Columbia, Columbia Business class. School class. Gosh. So for those of you who haven't heard about this, Lee Lu is an investor. His first name is Lee L-I's last name is Lu L-U. And uh he gave a talk. He went to Columbia Business School and so he went back and gave a talk to this class of value investors. And one of the things he said that really struck me, you know, you hear things at different times. And oh, yeah. they strike you very differently. So it's always cool to like yeah. rewatch things or reread things. And what struck me this time was he said, every mistake he's ever made came from not being complete in his, in his analysis or not mm-hmm. being accurate in his analysis. He said, you have to have both compl- 
complete Mm. and accurate. And the mistakes come when you are not one of those things or when you're neither of those things. And the human brain naturally wants to gravitate towards what's easier. And what's easier is often not doing all the work or taking a shortcut on your accuracy. And so he said, and, you know, he's super, he's like insanely brilliant. And he obviously has done that. He has made mistakes due to not being complete or not being accurate. And so I think this exercise we're going through is an exercise to behave against our own human foibles to seek that easier option to cut corners. And so I would encourage all of us to make a checklist that suits your own um, blind spots because that's what we're trying to avoid. And then use it. And then use it. Right. Which which sounds (laughs) obviously Which is actually a really good point. (laughs) It's so easy once you get really going on this to think, I got this. Mm-hmm. And um, and and that and one of the reasons they train airline pilots to use checklists is because, in fact, you know, after ten thousand hours of flying airplanes, you do think you've got it, and all you have to do is miss something important, and you don't got it. You create an emergency that wouldn't have had to been there. So we we have to use the list, and that's actually a discipline. It takes time to get through a whole list. I mean, I, I've got. I've got analysts working for me and I have to continually be sure that they're focused and working through the list mm-hmm. and not just not just saying stuff, right? I mean they they produce, right? When we're working through a company, we'll produce a document that's the story of this business. And the document is going to have an answer for every item on the checklist. And one of my jobs is to make sure it's an answer that wasn't just tossed off. You know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we got that. Mm-hmm. Right. Throw off an easy answer. So you have to use the checklist and you have to use it seriously. And, and that is a discipline. And I just want to encourage everybody who's really starting to get into this that the purpose of doing this work when you can't find anything to buy is to have a list of things you've done the work on already <laughs> when that moment comes that this thing goes on sale. I mean, we missed some really good opportunities on that one day, March 18th, when companies went down massively. And some of them came down to our margin of safety and we hadn't finished the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we didn't pull But the I mean, that's just, that's just life, <clears throat> right? Like you can't, things take the time they take and, you things know. Things take the time yeah. they take and don't, don't shortcut it. Yeah. And end up with a cautionary tale, right? <laughs> I have two mental triggers that really help me out. One is <laughs> if I think to myself, oh, I've got this. I don't need to check the list. That's a sign that I immediately need to check the list. Very good. I and like my other one. mental trigger is if I think to myself, oh, I'll definitely remember this. I don't need to write it down. That's an immediate side that I need to go write it down right oh, then. That's so good. <laughs> Ways to stay humble. Ways to stay humble. And to work with yourself, you know? Like, yep. I actually now find those thoughts to be incredibly helpful because they <laughs> really tell good. me, oh, 
I missed something. I'm getting a little too, like, whatever. I'm too, too certain that this is so important. I'll definitely remember it. And that's never the case. So, so good. That's so good. Companies that are, <clears throat> that are out there doing fund management have different ways of handling this. But one of them that I've sort of enjoyed seeing is that a company gives its analyst the requirement to produce eight companies a year. Give me eight a year <clears throat> that I can buy. Give me eight oh, companies a year I can buy. Buyable. Yeah. Oh gosh. I see you. I see you immediately having the red alert go on because that's terrible incentive. That's terrible. It, you're gonna you're gonna skip through something. You're gonna miss something. You're gonna in order to fulfill your quota. Of course. You're going. You're to gonna be push biased past. towards positivity. <clears throat> exactly. You're going to run into confirmation bias and you're going to stick stuff out there because otherwise you might only find one a year and then you're going to get fired. Yeah. When you might be the best analyst in that shop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, okay. Okay. Onward. Okay. Right? So the last, um, <clears throat> you guys, this is a series. Go back and listen to the other episodes. It'll help you understand what we're doing because we are in the middle of the management section of the checklist. And the one we just did was on ROIC, the the... Should I just read the two management ones that we've done? Has it only sure. been two? Where's my other page? Here it is. Okay. The first one is the company has little or no debt. And we had quite a conversation about what that means that we are not going to repeat right now. So go listen to the go last listen. episode. Yeah. And the second one is ROIC, which is return on invested capital, is high and not getting smaller. And I have in my paren that 10% is standard, but adjust it for the industry so that it's an appropriate ROIC. There are some that 10% would be completely insane. So know your industry. Yep. All right. Onward. All right. Number three, return on equity is high and not getting smaller. Return on equity is high yep. and not getting smaller. Now, if you listen to the last episode, you already know the definition of return on invested capital is equity plus debt. So this is a subset of return on invested capital. This is just return on equity. We're not going to include the debt, and it's high and not getting smaller. Okay? okay. So for all the same reasons we talked about in ROIC, everything's the same, but we're not including debt here. And that's why it's secondary to ROIC. ROIC is a more accurate picture. Um, companies can actually cheat their ROE higher by adding debt, mm. right? So you mm -hmm. add debt. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, remember our old example was that company went and bought another company and it, it went from $10 to $12, right? So ROE mm -hmm. went down from 10% to 6%. Okay. And, but if we look at ROE, ROE went up because we still have $100 of equity in the company. And now we have $100 that's making $12 yep. instead of $10. Yep. So if we just looked at ROE, we'd be like, hey, we're doing good. We increased it by 20% last year. We're killing it. Right? Well, and we frankly, did it at the expense of debt. When you look around the internet at investing stuff, they talk about ROE. I don't see ROIC very often. It's really no, interesting, actually. ROIC tells the truth. ROE is susceptible to manipulation by clever CFOs, and they do it all the time. Mm. Add debt, reduce return on invested capital, 
and increase return on equity. So what are you going to trumpet? You're going to trumpet the one that's going up. Mm-hmm. And they do. Mm-hmm. So this is a game that that management teams play to go to their board of directors and say, see how good we're doing. Okay. All right. Oh, and high, high. What does high mean? High is 10% as well. Okay. Now, the reason we use them the same is because if there's no debt, return on invested capital and return on equity are identical. They're the same number if there's no debt. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what number we put in our book. Because I feel like maybe we put like 15%. It might have gone up to 15. Yeah. I think we might have done 15% in the book. In my tools, I, I just put in 10% a million years ago, and I haven't changed it. But in my brain, I like to see 15. So fair enough. So let's, I think the point here is, and, and I like the way you wrote the checklist item, which is high. Like you didn't put the actual number into the checklist item. You just said high, which right. gives wiggle room and it requires interpretation. Um, and understanding the company and the industry and that it's not getting smaller. So it's not going down. It's staying the same or it's going up. And so, yeah, so that, so, okay. So that's good to know that like 10% is kind of reasonable. Okay. Now there's, there's always, you know, of any checklist, there's always exceptions, right? So the exception to the rule that ROIC and ROE are not getting smaller would be a, a relatively young company that, um, is adding a lot of infrastructure to their business as they grow. Mm. And their ROIC and ROE were monstrously high, like 40, 50%, some really crazy number. Mm-hmm. Um, because they just had a unique product. They kicked it out the door. There was just massive earnings on it. But those are all coming down to earth as competitors come in. And return on equity, return on invested capital is also coming down to earth. But those companies will tend to produce very high ROIC and ROE anyway. They're going to be up in the 20% range, 30% range as they come down. So it requires knowing the business. And we don't invest too many times into businesses that are new like that. So we don't tend to run into that very often. Apple Computer comes to mind again as a company that was producing enormous returns on equity and return on invested capital. And then as it got bigger and bigger and bigger, those things started to come down doesn't make it a bad company. Just have to know your company. All right. Okay. Good. Okay. Next. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Okay. Next. The business has low maintenance cap X. The business has low maintenance capital expenditures. Now, this is... That is an an interesting one. Yeah. So let's talk about what that is. So capital expenditure is what companies call it when they buy something that's going to last. It's going to be something you use up, but it's going to last a long time. It's going to last longer than a year, typically substantially longer than a year. So if you buy, you know, windshield wiper um, fluid... You use that up pretty quickly. If you buy a truck, you don't use it Mm -hmm. up quickly. Mm -hmm. So windshield wiper fluid is an expense and the truck is a capital expense. Okay. And that means you don't get to deduct it from taxes. So this is a kind of a tax thing. Um, But it's also very important to, to know the difference between 
capital expenditures and maintenance capital expenditures. So really capital expenditures for me break down into two categories, maintenance and growth, mm-hmm. maintenance and growth. So let's, let's think about if you own real estate that you're renting to somebody, maintenance capex is buying a washing machine to replace the old one. It's buying a refrigerator to replace the old one. You're doing something you have to do or your tenant is going to leave. It's or, like or when you have a, an apartment building that you live in and own an apartment in and you have an HOA, if you have a good HOA, they will save money for a new roof eventually on that building because you got to get a new roof every 20 years or so. Right. And if you don't have the money, then that's going to be a major problem for everybody who lives there at that time. So that would I would call that maintenance because you yes. know it's coming. You just got to do it. It's not yes. changing the value of the building. It's just keeping it the same. That's exactly right. That's exactly what maintenance is. And if you want to think about it, you're not able to raise the rent just because you put in another right. washing machine. Right. <laughs> right. Or, or the new, the only, in fact, the only thing, <laughs> you definitely the only thing that happens if you don't do it is rent goes down because yeah. they move out. <laughs> right. Yes. So maintenance is just keeping things the same. All right, with your with your house or your apartment. Now, capital expenditure for growth means you put a mother in law unit in the garage. Mm. All right, and now so you, you can rent that out for more money. Thirty thousand dollars, and now you can rent that out. Mm. Right, assuming it's legal. All right, so that's that's the difference. And what we're looking here is the maintenance side of capital expenditure. Because we we want to own a, a certain kind of a business. We want to own a business that doesn't require that you constantly have to fix stuff in order to even have your revenues stay the same. So, for example, a car business mm. like GM, they require a lot of a lot of maintenance. So that you they're constantly having to retool to just sell the cars, just to get the car out the door, right? It's not going to grow the business at all when you replace last year's models with this year's models, but you've got to do a whole different bunch of robots or you got to, right? You, you got to do all this hmm. maintenance stuff and it's not increasing revenues any. Hmm. That's maintenance CapEx. Yeah. Okay. So okay. we like businesses. We prefer businesses that have a franchise, a business model that doesn't require that you do a lot of maintenance. Maintenance businesses are tougher to to own. So for example, a railroad is a maintenance kind of business. You got to constantly maintain your tracks. You got to replace locomotives. You got to replace freight cars. If you don't do that, your revenues go down. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So we we like Coca-Cola kinds of businesses where they don't have to maintain anything much at all. To what just keep selling about? syrup. They've got a whole manufacturing, bottling plants all over the world. But they don't have to retool it. Once you build it, it okay. just runs for years and years and years and years. And that's beautiful. Then you don't have to constantly buy new railroad trains just to kind of keep up. Hmm. So you want to look at your business and see. As a business, is it heavy on maintenance or is it heavy on growth capex? So, for example, C's candy, hardly any maintenance at all and hardly any growth capex at all. They just don't grow. They just grow with the cost of living. And it's a wonderful business. It produces a lot of cash flow. 
And that's a great business for us. So we like those kinds of businesses. I'm just like, not sure I'm, I'm hearing the reason why. Like, okay, oh, a car company has to do a lot of maintenance. A railroad company has to do a lot of maintenance. So because what? Because eat up your owner earnings. The maintenance just chews up owner earnings. So you want to have but a large But if it's just inherent earnings. to the business. Right. I don't know that I have a big problem with that. Well, I mean, the, I suppose you could argue that like that's a place where things could get screwed up and that's a place where shortcuts could be taken and then the business could go downhill slow, slowly over time. Like you could make that argument. But I don't know if well, it's inherent about, to the... Again, think about real estate, okay? So you, you're going to get a certain amount of rent in from this building, but mm -hmm. you bought an old crappy place. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to fix up the basement and the foundation and, that's and the growth. septic system. That's None growth. of that's growth. It's definitely growth if you have to fix it up. No. I think so. Not. Well, here's, here's how you know. Did you raise the rent? Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, if you I'm bought a crappy just... house and <laughs> you can rent it for $200 a month and then you fix it up, which is what you just uh, said, and then uh, you can rent it for $1,500 a month, then that's growth. Okay, I, I can see how you can you can twist my example. It's not twisting. To turn it into something else. <laughs> that my building is a building renting for $1,000 a month. <clears throat> and then big rainstorm happens and the basement floods. Okay. And now I got to go fix that whole foundation yeah. just to keep my tenant. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, yeah. Okay, so you... You discover after you buy this particular business that it has a tremendous amount of what's called deferred maintenance. Oh. Right? So this is deferred maintenance. It should have been done. It wasn't done. Now you got to do it. And all of a sudden your own earnings just disappears. And that happens in real estate all the time. People hmm. think they, I mean, if you watch one of these flip it, flip the real estate shows, you see that they go in there and the big gotcha on these businesses that they buy are, are, are construction problems that they didn't see. They're hidden behind the walls. Yeah, down the yeah. <clears throat> they just missed it. And all of a sudden their own earnings are going, going to nothing and they're really in trouble and that makes all for the drama in the show. Yeah. So my example is one where there's been deferred maintenance and you can't, you can't avoid it. You've got to keep your tenant, so you got to do the work. And it chews up years of owner earnings when something like that happens. So we want to avoid businesses like that. Get now it doesn't to your point, it doesn't make it a bad business to have high maintenance capex. It all just depends on how big the capex is relative to your own earnings, relative to your free cash flow. How big is this? Let's say you have hardly any growth capex, it's all maintenance, but it's not that big. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I say low maintenance capex, it's a reflection that it's a very small part of of your overall free cash flow. So that's that's really what we're aiming for. Don't buy yeah. a business that requires a lot of free cash flow to be poured back into it because effectively your margins get thinner and thinner, right? I mean, if, as right, you said, right. things happen that you didn't expect. All of a sudden, you're not making any money at all. Right, totally. Whereas if you have low maintenance relative to relative to free cash flow, then you can you can suck it up and still do well. I think the danger here is you don't want to have low maintenance CapEx in a way that means that they're not spending the amount they should on Very the maintenance. 
good. Thereby creating point. the deferred maintenance that we really, really hey, don't want. Very good point in this market, honey, because mm-hmm. companies mm-hmm. are trying to maximize their cash. And the first way you can do it is you stop growth CapEx. Totally. And the second way you can do it is you stop maintenance CapEx. Totally. Or you slow it down or you defer it. You know things are going to be better next year. Of course, you don't know that, but you think you do. And so with your back against the wall, you spend your maintenance CapEx on on executive bonuses. Oh, God. (laughs) They do that kind of stuff out there. I bet. I bet. (laughs) Crazy. I bet. All right. So that's so the next I think one. for me that one that one I I'm gonna I may rephrase that one a little bit for myself, just so I understand what I'm actually looking for, which is I think that uh the maintenance it's more like the maintenance capex is appropriate. They're not good overspending. Well, I mean who's who overspends on maintenance? <laughs> Nobody. They understand on maintenance. (laughs) So really, really, like I'm trying to figure out what this is getting at exactly. Because low means really that it means relative to relative to free cash flow. I should say a low percentage, maybe. Relative to, but we don't want it. We just decide we don't want it to be too low. We want it to be appropriate. Appropriate. All right, we'll work on that one. So yeah, language language that one better for me. I'm going to think about what like the goal that. there is with that. Onward. Yeah. Because I think maybe the way to figure that out no. too. We, no, no, no sorry. On. It's no. too, it's too curious. Maybe the way to figure that out is like, where are their headquarters? Are they still working with computers from 1985 or did they, you know, do they update them on a regular you know basis? what I love about doing this with you, honey? What? Is that your mind works like that. Like you... You get a hold of something that you don't fully understand and you start digging at it to get to an understanding. And I can't tell you how many times I hear from people who just say, Danielle asks all the questions I'd be asking right there. When I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, "That's f- I just explained it three different ways. It's all good. We all know. And then I realize, <laughs> oh, no, we don't actually know. And that I'm I'm hiding in a in a in a fuzzy language, maybe a certain lack of precision here. Well, and that's don't true. we all? I mean, don't <laughs> we all? Because we all understand ourselves very well inside our own heads. So <laughs> it's very hard well to said. I was thinking if I have to go through a checklist with you, like, oh God, it'd be so hard to explain these things. You're doing a really good job. Um, but there because, is fuzziness to it, and that's because it's fuzzy in my head to a certain degree. Um, so I'll, I'll have to work on that one. But Let's I think there, there is a I level mean. of like, you understand what you mean, but then like getting somebody else to, to get exactly what you look at and stuff can be hard. So yeah, that's, it's kind of like, is the checklist for you or is the checklist for multiple people? And those might be different goals. Um, but yeah, just to like beat this horse a little bit more. So okay, go ahead, beat it. <laughs> like, um, like I remember I worked at a law firm, which shall remain nameless at, for a short period of time where the phones were from, I swear to God, 1985 and nobody could figure out how to like transfer calls or make, you know, what do you call it? Like a co- like conference call conference with multiple people. Like we couldn't. 
it just literally like stuff that's so obvious we couldn't do on these old phones. And I just was like, what the heck are they doing here? Like saving money on not buying a proper phone system. And it's just these little things that make you sort of think like, oh, like things are not necessarily as they should be in this. It, like this may not be as healthy as it looks, you know? So it's, the, yeah, it's so those things to try to figure out as an investor. Um, and particularly as a private equity investor, if you were to go out and buy a business, a private business that does not have, where you do not have the protections produced by the SEC, where the the um, all of the language that they're telling you about the business and all of the numbers are all very prescribed by SEC regulations on a public business, there's nothing like that on a private business. Nothing. You are looking at numbers and you can know for sure there's skeletons in the closet, but you don't know exactly where. And this area right here, this maintenance CapEx is a wonderful place where people can pe be peeling money out of the business. And, and, and you're looking at a bottom line number, a certain amount of earnings, a certain amount of free cash flow, and it doesn't really exist because they haven't been putting a fund together to replace the washing machine or mm -hmm. the roof mm -hmm. or paint the walls or do anything, fix the septic. None of that is in the, is in the business numbers and there, there's no fund there at all. Mm -hmm. And the moment you buy it, I guarantee you, you're buying it from somebody that deferred it as long as they could. And now they better sell the business mm -hmm. because somebody's mm -hmm. going to have to fix all this stuff. And Absolutely. it's going to be you if you mm -hmm. don't understand this part of it. So very important when you're when you're buying a, a private business that you be aware of that. And a public business, this they're they're more on top of it, but it's a great place to be a scoundrel anyway. I mean, so I find it carefully. to be a great challenge, honestly, to figure out maintenance capex versus how are you going to know? Here, here's how you're going to know. You go into McDonald's in 2002, and the floors are dirty. <laughs> the people are surly. <laughs> Things are not right. And so you, you, this is part of understanding your business, right? When you go out there and you look and you see things are breaking down, there's old trucks, um, you know, what, whatever part of this business that you can see is, can, can be picked up as an example of deferred maintenance. That's what you want to look for. So if you're going, you, you just remember, it's so similar to what you're going to do if you go buy a house to rent. If you don't know how to look at the foundation to make sure it's okay or look for signs of water damage in the ceilings or in the basement. If you don't know that, you're going to need to get somebody who does mm -hmm. know that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't know that about your business and you don't know who to talk to to find out about that in the business you're looking at buying, then you better not buy that business. That one's too hard. Mm. That's too hard. Maintenance, right. maintenance CapEx, big right. one. Yeah, big that's one. really good. All right, onward. Free um, cash flow, number five. Okay. Free cash flow is 75% of earnings or more. And before we talk about that, number six, owner earnings are 75% of earnings or more. Free cash flow is 75% of earnings or more. And then owner earnings is 75% of earnings or more. Yeah. Now this is pretty arbitrary. This is just me, a lot of experience out there looking at companies, buying companies. And I've 
just come to the conclusion that I like my companies to have a substantial amount of free cash flow and owner earnings. My preferred number is 100%. I would like to see free cash flow and earnings be the same number over and over and over again so that a, a tremendous amount of cash is flowing through without capital expenditures because this is where the number changes. So earnings is a number that's pre-capital expenditures. Right. Right? Right. And now out of earnings come capital expenditures and what you have left is free cash flow. Right. Kind of. I mean, it's kind of like crazy. Yeah. Okay. There's a bunch of other stuff that goes in and out of cash, but basically that's kind of what it, what it, what you're looking at. If effectively you take net income, which is earnings, you add and subtract all of your elements of operating cash, which could be working capital, uh, deferred taxes, depreciation, amortization, all that kind of stuff, all comes in or out of net income, and you end up with operating cash flow. Mm-hmm. And then out of operating cash flow comes capital expenditures. So what we really like to see is that you don't have a lot of real depreciation and amortization uh, and real maintenance stuff that you got to spend a lot of money okay. on. Because that massively reduces your your actual cash. Yeah, I'm just not not enough of an accounting person to like immediately know the like... I'm trying to figure out like why is this the the ratio that you're looking at free cash flow to earnings? Well, because and I'm putting up with some maintenance and ca- and capex, but not tons of it. So so effectively, I'm saying yeah, you could have 25 percent of your earnings would be uh, cash that's got to come out in some form, mm-hmm. and you end up with 75 percent of earnings in free cash flow. That's not horrible, but if if free cash flow is twenty five percent or forty percent, it's just too much. It's a pointer toward it's just too much capital expenditure going on here. So it's kind of would this would it be fair to say the 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 goal here is you don't want a business that is spending too much on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like you prefer a business that is spending a small amount on itself, little on itself. Yeah, that's our ideal business. Those are those are really. Why is that your ideal business? Because we want a lot of owner earnings coming out of the business. We want it pouring cash out, and the there's there's actually a lot of businesses have a life cycle where they're spending a lot of cash in the early days while they're trying to compete. Yeah. You're very familiar with those, right? Yeah. As an emerging company uh, attorney. So they're going to spend a lot of money. They're going to need to go get more capital and and dilute their shareholders or their initial investors. And the goal is to get that business to where it's starting to produce free cash flow. And then the business starts to stabilize. You find out if you have a big moat and you could hold off of your competition and then as the business starts to mature, you get into what's known at Harvard Business School as a cash cow, where you don't have to spend any money to grow it. You really can't spend a lot of money to grow it. It's fully mature. There's not a lot of room in the industry to grow that business. And at that point, you get to reap the benefits of years and years of capital expenditures 
that now you don't have to make anymore. You can just have cash flow come pouring in. So mm -hmm. the, there's businesses do have a life cycle and we like to buy businesses that are pretty well established in that life cycle. We don't like to take the chances of being in a business that's trying to grow itself into a real dominant business. We like to buy dominant businesses. We like to buy businesses that are cash cows, but we want to, we want to watch a couple of things. Number one, we want to make sure that the reason that it went on sale is that there's an event that isn't going to affect it long-term. And we want to watch the industry to make sure it's not, we're not buying the typewriter industry in 1985 with the advent yeah. of personal computers. So we find that there's less issues to, to deal with in mature businesses. And that's why these numbers are where they are. These wouldn't be appropriate numbers at all in a business that's four years old and trying to grow itself into a real monster, right? That's going to be spending a lot of money on capital yeah. expenditures. Okay. So that's one. Okay. I just think there are companies that still spend a lot on capital expenditures, uh, not because they are dying or, or growing, not because they're, a, they're an emerging company that needs to do that and needs to bring on new capital and issue debt and whatever in order to grow, but just because they choose to grow. That's what they choose to spend their money on is growing the company. Totally good with that. I love a business like that too. And that's why we distinguish between free cash flow and owner earnings. In that business, free cash flow will be low because mm -hmm. they're they're taking all of their what would be free cash and they're spending it on capital items to grow that business to really right. build so they're it gonna out there. be below 75% sure. is my point. So right. So this could be like none of these, you're not going to get a company that's perfect, right? That has everything on every bit of the checklist. So you have to know why that's free cash flow is below 75%. If it's because effectively they're taking my money, which would be the free cash flow, right? That's mine. If I'm mm -hmm. the sole owner, I could do anything with that. I could go live on a yacht because they've are, they're, they're taking that. And, and instead of giving it to me, they're saying, hey, Mr. Town, uh, we believe we can allocate this capital more efficiently than you can as right. an investor. Right, right. We think we can make 30% a year on this. Yeah. So I would be like, yes, you can. I want you to do that. <laughs> go go <laughs> spend my free cash flow. And then I will, I will see how you're doing based on my owner earnings because I would recognize, ah, oh, my owner earnings are quite high and they're taking some of that and allocating, they're taking a lot of it and allocating it to growth. And if the return on invested capital and return on equity are remaining high, then I'd be like, yes, I love you guys, rock on. Don't give me the money, spend it on growth. Right on. All right. Okay, that's, I'm gonna put optional next to this <laughs> one. <laughs> I don't know if that's quite the right word. More like understand the business and what they're doing out there. So that if you've got an Apple computer and they're producing tremendous amounts of owner earnings and uh, less free cash flow, that's awesome, right? That Go for it, you know? You want them to take the money. I mean, I can't invest it at 30% a year, year after year after year after year after year without, you know, really a lot of work. And they can. Mm. So I want them to keep it. And I'll view that business in through the lens of owner earnings. So let's I'm talk about the owner earnings one next time because I want to understand that one. Okay. 
as Until well. Then. Okay. Time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Guys. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.